Welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability and the built environment. And Happy New Year. We have a full house. We are joined by Ethan Wadsworth, who's Director of Sales and Marketing for Discrete Heat. They are the guys who came up with Thermoskirt, which is an energy efficient skirting board based heating system, which 15 years ago actually appeared on Dragon's Den. Now, if you're aware of Thermoskirt, you probably know about that story and you can probably just Google it for yourself. What's interesting about Thermoskirt is it is an overnight success that took 15 years to come to fruition. Now, recently, they've been winning awards. So for 2023, they won Commercial HVAC Product of the Year at the HV News Awards and Sustainable Product of the Year from the Greater Manchester Chamber. I mean... Awards is lovely, but what's more interesting is the fact that they've got a product that is really good. It's actually, I believe, the only heating system that is involved in Salford Uni's Energy House 2. But we're not really a podcast that does product advertorial. We're more interested in the why than the what. So Ethan was really great value in those terms, because while we did speak about the nature of the product, its application, and how useful it is within an industry that is seeking ways to decarbonize. We also talked a lot about why the product is relevant now. You know, what are the conditions that have precipitated or enabled it to have the space to succeed? I mean, whilst it has changed in the last 15 years, it's not changed that much. It's a sound idea, but the world wasn't ready for it. We think there's a lot folk can learn from their example, as well as it being an interesting technology. What I find particularly fascinating is that they've thought about the whole customer experience from the end user hunters in their homes to merchants installers distributors they've thought about what they need in order to make it all happen understanding users needs the things that are preventing them taking up something like this and the whole user journey working out how they can facilitate it we also talk about heating design a bit too but i think you probably heard enough from me so we'll let you hear from ethan and Jeff and Alex, just a heads up, being consummate professionals, uh, we began the session by speaking with Ethan about one of his competitors, and that is the point at which you join us. So, hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for listening. Yeah, I've been publishing a, a sustainable building magazine of one kind or another for 20 years now, believe it or not. Wow. Ridiculous. Um, and um, and I've come across products like this before, actually. Uh, of course, I'm familiar with you, but um, we used to have an advertiser doing skirting board heating systems in the past. It's a rather beautiful that name. profile was it? Uh, it was a uh, thermodule. Uh, was the, the module, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And the guy, the distributor in Ireland was a Roman fellow with a beautiful name, Andrea Splendori. Wow. You know? Yeah, he was a good guy. Uh, so, um, yeah, that was... 10, 12 years ago or something like that, I think, you know. Uh, I don't know. To, actually, uh, I don't know what happened with him. I, uh, I, I think he's still knocking about, but I don't know whether he's still doing that, you know. It's just it, it kind of has it kind of has no, um, they have sort of no no foothold in, in the market anymore, really. You know, what, what little interest there was in skirting board heating at the time, we, we've sort of absorbed because we basically just came along with a product that had a similar heat output, but it actually looks like a skirting board and not, not like a mini radiator. Right. So yeah. whoever was searching for skirting board heating basically just sort of came to us. And I think that was that was that. 
they do still sell a, a bit in Europe, as, as I understand it. But they, they posted like a blog post about the module versus thermoskirt themselves, oh, wow. and the 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 blog post that they did was very very complimentary of thermoskirt. So I was like, <laughs> "It's like suicide. What are you doing?" <laughs> was it more complimentary of thermoskirt than thermodule? Do you think? Do they? Do they? Do they? Do you think they made a better case for your product than theirs? Yeah, yeah. If you, I'll send you the blog post if you want. If you read it, it says it even says in their blog post, thermoskirt is considerably more cost effective per, oh. per linear meter and per kilowatt than 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 the module. And I was like, did you pay somebody to write this article it's, for you and not translate it? it? This is a case. This is a case for not using AI generated content. <laughs> oh, it's a, funny, a, it's one a funny one. This though. This is um. There's there's this whole technique in in um uh in in what do you call it in rhetoric in in discourse um uh and sales um which is um which comes from uh, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, I've meant I may have mentioned it on the podcast before. You all, you the, mention it loads. Yeah. Well. Okay. Then I won't again. Will I? Yeah. But yeah. Do it. It's good. It's a good yeah, one. And it's a good benefit, technique. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. No. You can't hear it now. You go back <laughs> and listen. Yeah. Do your homework. Jesus okay. Christ. Um, no, um, it's um, basically he was a lawyer before he became president. Um, and the way he used to our, to, to his kind of key uh, uh, argument was that he would make the case for his opponents. Uh, uh, he'd lay out their argument and then he'd make his argument for his side, but make his slightly better. It sounds like they're doing the same thing, but getting it, getting uh, the emphasis. It's inverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's inverse. Um, what what time are we officially starting? Oh, we've started. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Bye. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you want to use that bit? I mean, do you want to be? Would you, would it be a problem for you to be openly uh, critical of of uh, of the competition? No, 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 no. I can't see myself getting sued. To be honest with you. Well, you've been very complimentary in, in your description of them. They've been very nice about us. But yeah. have. I mean, they were. And, and to be honest with you, most of what they said was accurate. So you know, I can't really fault it. They, they listed the diff. They, li they listed the difference in heat outputs. They listed the difference in cost. They did like a summary at the end, which basically said, you know. If you want a product that looks like a skirting board and heats your home effectively at a low price, go for thermoskirt. <laughs> You're like you say, it's an argument not to. It, I don't think it was AI written because it's from five or six years ago. But I, I, what I suspect is that they employed somebody to write the blog post, and assuming potentially that because uh, they're an Italian company, I don't know. Assuming that they 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 thought they would write a blog post that was complimentary to them. And really the inverse was true because the blog writer probably did their research. The thing um, is, though, um, you know, I, I come across this, uh, I, as the, I, one of my hats is I'm chair of the heat pump association of Ireland. And, um, you've got competitors, uh, with the technology who come together, leave their differences at the door mostly because they recognize that, you know, there's a common, um, I wouldn't say enemy, but you know, they, well, yeah, maybe you could say enemy, which is, which is, you know, fossil fuel boilers, for instance, you know? So in other words, um, yeah. it would be lovely to see that there, there are not that many people making skirting board heaters though, are there? So no. So the, the way that we, the way that we do it 
is kind of unique to the point where we we sort of we've got a pattern we've got an active pattern on the wet skirting board heating and the electric skirting board heating which sort of narrows down um it, it basically corners the products just both in terms of performance and appearance so if you were to copy the product you'd either have to compromise one or the other so you'd either have to make it a larger profile which would look less skirting board like or you'd need to make it a, a, a poorer performance so you know eventually we will get copied you know eventually there will be people who copy us and that's fine you know it's it's going to happen they've got a lot of catching up to do if they do because obviously we've we've been at it for 15 years and, and let me tell you you know when i when i joined the i joined the business in 2010 and there was seven people in the company there's 30 now and i kind of started off on the installation and commissioning side and the learning curve on the product as it was then was so ridiculously steep i can't stress how steep that learning curve was and it wasn't just steep it was slippery and rocky and you know there's people throwing boulders at you and it was really tough and what we basically did was set about this continual improvement program on the product with a focus on making it more installable and we rationalized our range of products which meant we could make it more cost effective and all of these like hurdles that we've overcome but to be honest with you jeff we were kind of we were kind of 15 years too early because fundamentally for like the last six or seven years the product's not really changed we've made like minor adjustments and, and and so on but it's not really changed what's happened is the market's come to us now yeah. all of a sudden with the move to electrification of heat lower flow temperatures radiators getting bigger what it's done with the retrofit sector is it's focused people's minds on wait how the hell are we going to fit those radiators in here mm. and on the new build sector it's put heating back on the agenda so I really struggled to get in with new build developers 10 years ago mm. because they had heating wrapped up, you know, combi boiler, radiators. It's like three grand all in, go away. You know, you can't yeah. compete on price. You can't compete on time and, and you can't, and that's it, you know, price and time and in time is price. So basically price, <laughs> you can't, yeah. you can't compete on price, go away. Um, and pe people say to me now, like, they're sort of seeing the product here and there and they say, well, if it's, if it's not, if it's not happened in the last 15 years, why do you expect it to happen now? It's like, well, heat pumps have been around for like 50 years. And all of a sudden, like, they're, they're, they're there now, you know, they're there. Mm. Mm. And it's well, because the, the legislation's needed to change and the, the market's attitude has needed to change. Well, this is it. Like, you're a 15-year-long a overnight success. And the reason why, I yeah. mean, that's really the reason why I was interested to get you on the podcast. So you came recommended another one of Duncan's Duncan Smith's recommendations because you're working with him at River Clyde Homes. Am I right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Duncan at River Clyde, yeah, yeah. So he, Dun Duncan started started this podcast originally with me before these blow-ins came in. Yeah, yeah. the dilettantes. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, yeah. So he introduced us and said you'd be uh, good value for a chat, and he's enthusiastic about the product for obvious reasons. And having met you. I thought that was an interesting, that's a really interesting story about someone who has not a blow-in, who's observed this massive shift in the industry. And you've got a little bit of telly glamour to talk about with your Dragon's Den appearance and that. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
Like, yeah, we've, we've milked that for all it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can get to that. I mean, um, just for the sake of clarity, do you want to explain what the product is with a, a little yeah, more so, detail? We've sort of touched on it, but like... So so in a nutshell, what the what Thermoscope is, is it's a radiant heat emitter that's disguised as a skirting board. What we offer is is an alternative to radiators and underfloor heating. And that's pretty much always always been our bag. And ten years ago, really, where we were com- where we were competing was on designer radiators. So people kind of classed Thermoscope as a designer radiator. You know, I I need a radiator, but I don't like the look of a white panel rad. I'm looking for alternatives, and we were we were obviously cost comparable and so on. What's happened now with the electrification of heat is that those radiators are getting bigger, more ex- and more expensive. And then it's making people reassess, like, do I really want this radiator? So that the margin of price has come down and obviously the offering has changed because we work very well on heat pumps. Um, And we can come on to like the performance and and the test data to back that up. But fundamentally, uh, the heat pump challenge is more, more, um, more about what happens inside the home than necessarily which box is sat outside the home wearing away. Uh, you know, you, you'll you'll there's like 25 different heat pump manufacturers operating in the UK at the moment, all fighting for different levels of market share. And um, fundamentally, I hate to say it, and obviously, if some if certain people hear this hear this podcast, they'll they'll probably hunt me down and kill me. But it ultimately is a, a white box or a grey box now that sits outside your house and and converts ambient energy into heated water. That's it. It's what happens on the inside of the house that actually makes the average punter decide, do I go for this or not? And what we're finding is with the likes of British Gas, Octopus, EDF and others, they're coming up against the challenge on the retrofit where they're they're basically going along, explaining, extolling the virtues of a heat pump, discussing the electrification of heat, the move to low carbon energy. Homeowners are going, wow, that sounds fantastic, brilliant. Yeah, no problem. Rip my boiler out, put a heat pump in, please. And then the conversation comes, okay, where are we going to put a cylinder? Well, you've got an airing cupboard that's been there since the 80s. Let's put one back in there. Oh, I don't really want to do that because that's where I keep all my towel and my Christmas decorations. And what about your radiators? Well, you're all on 10 mils. So that's going to have to come out. We're going to have to put these radiators in its place. It's, you know, it's twice the size or we're going to go from a K2 to a K3 or we're going to go from a K1 to a K2 or whatever. And then the resistance begins because human beings as a general rule, hate anything that either impacts their lifestyle or doesn't save the money. Yep, yeah. <laughs> 100%. So, so in a nutshell, what Thermoscope is doing is it's we, we, we say to people that it eases the transition towards heat pumps by solving a key aesthetic and uh, practical issue of bigger radiators. And That's when it. you say uh, impacts their lifestyle, you're not just talking about like the end consumer, the occupant of the home. Like, that is a key one, like having to think about how to change your behavior a bit, even though the the end point is going to be a better experience. Just the, I was going to say the impracticality of change, but it's not that. It's having to think about change at all. But it's the industry as well, like people having to think differently. So new build developers, like uh, retrofit wasn't even a thing, but heating engineers, having to think about something that's not standard radiators standard gas boiler setup like it's it's an awful lot to ask of an awful lot of people that 
Well, I mean, people hate change, don't they? Generally, yeah. I mean, you'll you'll always get it's it's a it's a bell curve, right? So you'll you'll always get the early adopters, or like right at one end of the bell curve is the people who glue themselves to the M6. Yep. Yeah, I know some of them. And then at the 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 other end of the bell curve are the people who will like die in a hail of gunfire on their landing to protect their gas boiler. You know, while while (laughs) government drones come and rip it out. It's the people who are trying to drive over the people who are glued to the motorway. Yeah. Yeah, the Range Rover lady. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you've got the people glued to the motorway, and on the other end of the bell curve, you've got the Range Rover lady mowing them down. As she drives 70 miles to go and do, you know, the weekly shot at 20 miles per gallon. I'm just so picturing that, you coming up there, to, 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 to pitching people, <laughs> pitching them <laughs> in that situation. Yeah, it's not appropriate, Ethan. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. I should probably turn turn my hat, put the hat back on of, uh, you know, looking for investment and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we, we, we can be a little bit more opinion-based. The, the thing is, is that the, that convincing the people at the at the very green end of the spectrum is very easy, okay. And and those who can afford to will adopt heat pumps instantly. You know, we we were doing installations on heat pumps fifteen years ago. These are people who are fitting heat pumps 15, 15 or more years ago. Um, now we're at the point where you've got to hit the middle of the bell curve. So you now to hit net zero, you need to get the vast majority of people on board, and that vast majority of people. Do not want to compromise their lifestyle. So, if you if you go to them with a product, and this pretty much applies across the whole board, in my experience, the product either needs to save them or make them money, or it needs to improve their lifestyle in some way, and and that's it. And you can take that whether it's whether it's a coffee cup, or whether it's a t-shirt, or whether it's a heat pump. You know, do, will this will this t-shirt improve my lifestyle in some way? Will it purvey an image? Will it show people what my favorite band is? Will it show people what which holiday I've been on? Whatever you know, or is that cheap? Or is that T-shirt cheaper than the alternative? I'll take the cheaper one because if it, if it offers no benefit, I'll always take the cheaper one. So that's pretty much what people make the decision on. And you'll have this challenge of convincing people about climate change, about the reality of climate change, and the importance of net zero because they wake up in a climate-controlled house. They bundle their kids into a climate-controlled car and drop them off at a climate-controlled school and go to a climate-controlled office and then do it all in reverse and then do it again the next day. So they don't really know what's going on outside. <laughs> They're not going, wow, it's, it's a lot rainier this this season than it was last season. <laughs> they, don't, they don't notice, so they don't care. I mean, if their so holidays say, are on fire and stuff like that, that might, you know, yeah, might make them, it sit up. Them that went to Greece on holiday last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Maybe they've not. You know, I, I heard one like we did. We we do like quite a lot of exhibitions and trade shows and stuff. So you do get one good thing about trade shows is that you do get to sort of sometimes step out of the echo chamber and yeah. speak to random NPCs that appear from nowhere and engage you in conversation. And then you're like, wow, like that. That's you know, someone said. Well, I say, well, what's happening is it's going up by. Not not tiny factors like degrees. The average winter temperature is dropping, and the average summer temperature is increasing. And he said, "Yeah, well, I'll just get aircon." Huh. I'm oh, like, God. "This is what we're up against." You know, just, yeah. oh, don't worry, I'm a human being. I've got a solution for that, and it's more tech. It's a bit like that um, episode of The Simpsons. I don't know if you what saw it, where um, 
Homer ends up uh, getting stuck in a tar pit. Um, and his family are all around panicking over and he's like, it's okay. He's very serene. He's like, it's okay. First of all, I'll I'll grab I'll I'll grab my legs out with my arms, and then he goes down to his shoulders and to it. Now I'll grab my arms out with my face. <laughs> he disappears <laughs> under it, you know. <laughs> Feels a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and human beings in general don't often do what they know is good for them. Yeah. But deliberately. I think this decarbonization of the grid as a panacea for all things, it's a very dangerously seductive concept. Like, it feels easy. Like, oh, we don't have to change anything. It's a bit like um, when we move to LED lights, you've got people who who obviously they've reduced the number of lights and some go, well, it's cheap, so I can put 100 of them and they're consuming even more than they used to. Like, we, it's not because we're decarbonizing the grid that it means that we're, we're contributing to the solution, as it were. If you start over-consuming anyway, uh, it's not going to help. People do tend to look for simple, simple fixes, simple solutions, um, such as a solar panel or switching to wind uh, in terms of the electricity or, or electric vehicle or whatever, rather than more nuanced understanding. And that is very frustrating. And I think you're on the money that for the kind of systemic change that we require, not, not to dis- dismiss those things, by the way, they all have a role. For the kind of change that we require, I'm a firm believer that where we can find benefits to show people, we really need to harness them and uh, and and f- focus on them and sell the hell out of them, you know, um, so that people understand that and that you can start to shift the narrative on the fact that being sustainable doesn't have to involve sacrifice; that it can improve your quality of life in in terms of lots of lots of different facets of your life potentially. And- the big change that's happening at the moment is that these improvements to your quality of life don't necessarily require more energy. I mean, I'm going to be saying this on every episode from now until forever, but we like that thing that Cedric Berger's said. So he's an architect we interviewed the other week about energy is the apex predator of building design. When you reduce the energy demand, all, all other aspects of the building design get better for the people who occupy it. Like when yeah. you make that effort, and man, it's true. Like the wolves being introduced to Yellowstone Park by reducing your energy ma- demand in a meaningful way, like you just improve the quality of life. Like you lower carbon in all manifestations, or you can lower carbon in all manifestations. You can have a much more comfortable, healthier home. But getting back to the point about change it requires all sorts of kinds of change in terms of strategic thinking building design behavioral yeah. change so you've been in this for a long time like it's been a steady state growth not stagnation getting you ready to capitalize on the opportunities that presented themselves and you're doing it like you described working with big brands to big tech brands who were embracing your technology for their own infrastructure you're gaining a significant foothold in consumer markets like what is it that's how have you gone about convincing people who are resistant to change like what's what question um to be honest with you what what's worked has been showcasing examples of successful projects (laughs) it's it's as simple as that like there's no there's no um, oh here's let me just hand you the silver marketing bullet that's just gonna you know annihilate any competition, you know we 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 are we are in a fortunate position that we don't have any 
we have, we're in a fortunate and an unfortunate position that we don't have any direct competition. Um, fortunate because, you know, it means that when, when we are in a conversation with, we're in a conversation with somebody about the product, it's, look, I'll, I'll wear my heart on my sleeve about the product. I'll tell you where it works, where it doesn't, stuff like that. I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned, bear in mind when I started this, I was 18. Okay, so so other than like doing a, a, a paper round and working in a butcher's, I had no life experience whatsoever. So this has not just been a journey for me learning about net zero and learning about, you know, radiant heat and test data and and uh, thermodynamics. This has been a journey for me understanding how people How to think. shave, how to be a man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll let you know when that day arrives. The, the, it's it's about how people think. And and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. So when I started, I don't know. If anybody who's listening knows my dad, they'd probably appreciate what sort of challenge <laughs> it would be to work for him as a son. <laughs> I put it this way: nobody else, nobody at Discrete Heat is envious of my position. That's for sure. And when I was eighteen, he basically said to me, "Here's a sample case, uh, the products. Here's some car keys. I never want to see you at the office. Go away." And. <laughs> um, that was basically that was basically my baptism of fire, and and what that involved was at the at the time, uh, the product when we went on Dragon's Den, the product was picked up by a, a merchant. Should I say who? Yeah, Plumbase. So we, it was picked up by a merchant, Plumbase, and they at the time, to be fair to them, were kind of really progressive on innovation, but what they were is, and this is this is where a lot of large organisations fall down is they're incredibly progressive at a corporate level yep. yeah but yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. instill that same level of care at an operational level so what you've got is you've got a, a company that's basically greenwashing saying look at all of this stuff we're doing to drive down carbon and then the people who actually make stuff happen on the ground don't yeah. give a toss well they're order takers aren't they i know people who tried to wrestle with uh, changing merchants you know from the top yeah. in in ireland for instance um and it's very difficult to to, to uh, or there ha maybe they haven't approached it in the right way. Um, I mean, this is where I think the kind of the thinking that 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 that, that since I've been working with Dan and Alex, that we could you know uh, where you do proper user research, you engage with the staff working in these businesses, uh, understand who they are. Are you going to be able to motivate them to to engage with new products? That's a that's a tough question. Sometimes you won't, you know, some people just will not respond. Um, can you, um, and uh, what allies can you find? And and uh, and then the, the kind of customers who walk through the door, how do you how do you engage with them? Is this something you've thought, through, thought about with the merchants? So that was a real challenge, you know, back in sort of like 2011, 2012. And to be honest with you, as a business, we didn't actually have the resources to educate people on the product properly. So what would happen was that like a customer would come to us and say, where can I buy thermoscope? We'd say, go to this merchant. They'd go into the merchant and say, hey, I'm interested in skirting board heating for my house and do a renovation, so on and so on. And the guy behind the counter would be like, all right, I don't know anything about it, mate. We've got radiators on special at the minute. <laughs> it's like conversation over. Yeah. Um, and it was the same with heat pumps. You know, someone would say, go to this merchant and get a heat pump and they wouldn't do it. At the moment, um, what we're doing as a business is we we actually have, we've sort of run with the hare and hunted with the hounds for too long. We've sort of dealt direct with the end user and then tried to to deal with merchants. 
And what we've done in the last six months is really started to turn off the B2C tap and turn on the B2B tap. Okay. Um, and we're doing a lot of that through City Plumbing. And City Plumbing, to be honest with you, have been a bit of a breath of fresh air for me working in this sector because City Plumbing have a dedicated energy efficiency team and they kind of systematically hammer in to all their branch managers what's happening. They have um, they have incentive schemes to drive them towards things like solar and heat pumps and thermoskirt and underfloor heating. And they've kind of bundled thermoskirt in with underfloor. So what we've what we've kind of done with with City Plumbing is we've started off by getting in there under the radar as the first floor solution. So somebody's having underfloor heating downstairs, i.e. they don't want radiators. That's why they have an underfloor heating anyway. But 80% of underfloor heating systems that are sold are ground floor only. So 80% of those underfloor heating systems are being combined with rads upstairs. Mm. So all they've done is whenever those customers ask for for underfloor heating quote, they go, oh, what about a thermoskirt quote for the first floor? And then they That's... go, oh, what's that? Oh, it's skirting board heating. It works very similar to underfloor, but it still had no radiators and this, that, and the other. And it's just like, boom, because the, the targeting is very, very specific. Uh, customer they're not just trying to like blanket everything mm. um and and yeah they, they've been very engaging you know city, i've been to city plumbing's um distribution center in warrington and you can see heat pumps and cylinders solar panels leaving the door you know every day bundled up into kits heat it's amazing pump, i'm getting a strange you're giving, me, you're giving me a uh, uh in mentioning this it's this is tenuous now you're giving me a kind of ptsd from when i was at university I don't think I've mentioned this in the podcast. I've definitely mentioned it recently talking to Dan, but I, uh, I, I kind of worked my way through university, you know, uh, where required. And I had this job. Uh, the worst job I had, I think, uh, was uh, at uh, a, a an old women's shoe shop in Sterling. <laughs> and um, the the people who worked there wouldn't have been the most ambitious folk in the world, it's fair to say. And the wages were an absolute pittance even the manager i think you can say zero ambitions yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely Um, and um they had a commission structure though which you got paid commission i'm sorry you didn't get paid commission you got you got commission if you sold shoe polish or spray uh with with shoes and the commission was a raffle was a raffle ticket and at the end of each month they'd have a raffle and the first prize was a a a bottle of of vodka (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well so you have a scotland surely yeah not. this is it your commission is a is a is a small chance to start drinking yourself into oblivion basically um <laughs> it sounds like they've got a healthier kind of approach to that uh and a more attractive approach to that with city plumbing though is that fair to say yeah yeah so what what we're doing is because obviously most of the shortfall in terms of actually getting new tech out there is through the installer network okay and there's always been a difficulty convincing installers that's been a huge challenge, convincing installers that there's money in it because ultimately they're running a business. You know, they've got they've got to make money. They're working hard, long days, customers on the phone constantly, you know, particularly in the winter. You always see registered installers' heads explode in the winter because, you know, any any issues with their heating, with the customer's heating system doesn't arrive until November, of course. Mm. So they, mm. they, they spend all summer fitting systems and then all winter, you know, like going back and, commissioning them again because the customers changed the towel rail and now there's air in the system or whatever it is and 
for us, there's been a big shift towards educating installers. And what City Plumbing has done is it's just given us this tap directly into a stream of installers. So, you know, City Plumbing have got thousands and thousands and thousands of accounts. And obviously they know, because obviously everything's online now, who's buying heat pumps, who's buying underfloor heating, who's buying solar. And they know who's buying boilers and rads, boilers and rads, boilers and rads. So, but for now, what's the point in us peppering a, a gas fitter who's, you know, whatever, 62, and he's retiring in, in five years' time, and he's fitting boilers and rats. Why are we going to start hammering him with messaging about Thermoscare? Or we target a 30-year-old heat pump installer who's currently fitting big radiators and underfloor heating, and all City Plumbing are basically doing is going, did you know there's an alternative, and do you want to be trained on it for free? And all of a sudden, it's like, bang, because... The, because what they've got a problem that they it's a known problem so they they will be trying to sell heat pumps to customers who get put off by big radiators that's the top and bottom of it and as a result we are kind of pairing up with a lot of underfloor heating companies so we were also launched earlier this year by the underfloor heating store although i have told them they're gonna have to change the company name to the not radiator store now and <laughs> um, you know but they, they they sell a huge amount of underfloor heating but again They've realized actually 80% of the systems that we sell are ground floor only. And they've they've already incurred the cost of marketing. They've already incurred the cost of you know acquiring the lead. They've incurred the cost of sale, the salesperson, the conversation, the phone call, the design. They've done all that. And all he needed to do was mention a first floor solution and bam. Well, that's yeah. All of their underfloor heating leads have just doubled in volume because a, a three grand order has now become a six grand order or something. What you've described is like uh, an impact proposition, like yeah, low-hanging fruit. How are we going to normalize this in the industry? Well, like with all these things, you talk to the people who are interested. There's no point trying to sell to people who aren't going to buy it. Alex, you had that conversation with your plumber the other day about heat pumps. Yeah, well, it was it was quite interesting because I had a, to change a radiator and still kept a radiator because uh, we've unfortunately got the boiler. But uh, I was saying that we do we talk to a lot of heat pump companies, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah, they're they're really good, and I think they're going to become you know more and more mainstream." Uh, and I think the day that happens, that's when I'll start training up and learning about them. But until then, I'm just going to continue putting in boilers because that's what I know. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So what's the point? Like trying to convince folk like that, like they ain't interested. So why bother? Like, I, don't, I, I don't even think he's even 30, right? Yeah, so yeah. He's one of those where, you know, he's a smart guy, but he knows what works and he knows what sells for the moment and there is no incentive for him to change yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But you go for the impact. And if you can go through a firm like City Plumbing, who will set the standard just by virtue of dealing with so many people across the country, like, oh man, you've got kind of to normalised it. Like fitters, they will move jobs. They will take solutions elsewhere. They will open up opportunities. There is a, a tipping point in culture, I think, of 20% of the population. I heard George Monbiot talking about it on another podcast in the week. Uh, Rachel Donald's podcast about yeah. uh, climate corruption. She's brilliant. But yeah, that was really interesting. Like That's the tipping point. And you need that sort of tipping point within heat pumps. It feels like we've already hit it with underfloor heating because of the touch of glamour about it. But like underfloor heating comes with its own problems, like logistics. Like it's a pain in the ass to get to. If it breaks, you're fucked. There's high embodied carbon. Like it's it's lovely. It's really lovely. But it's a pain in the hole. 
Yeah, for heating. Yeah, well, I think it has a place. Heating. I wouldn't. I wouldn't knock it in that way. You know. No, I'm not knocking it, but it's yeah. just it's not appropriate for all circumstances. And... No, 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 no. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. And and neither thermoskirt, right? So so here's what here's what people do. So here's what I get. I get. Um, so what is it you do? And we go. Well, it's this, that, and the other. And then they say, okay, well, my client has got a 15th century weaver's cottage, all right, with with single glazed lead lined windows <laughs> and a hole in the front door. You can get a jack russell through will it work and you go no oh well you see it doesn't work and you go well that's <laughs> mental it's like saying okay we've got a beautifully engineered bmw 3 series here okay well my client wants to drive a car to the middle of the mongolian desert will it do that no well it's rubbish then yeah and, and what happens is the, these are people who see something new and their initial reaction is to find a problem with it mm. so that they can dismiss it and then you know throw yogurt over themselves and go ah don't worry i'm right <laughs> and, and, and we also get an issue with people who in in this industry i was with who... you there up until the yogurt bit i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry i went off piece there I was, yeah yeah do you know what i mean it's just like ah and relax you know it's 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 you've cooled it off so they see something new and what happens is it's like this fight or flight. So the amygdala takes over and it's like, oh, my God, something new. There's got to be a reason why I don't know about it. It must be a crock of shit. Let's find a reason why it is. And so they go straight to let me outline this impossible situation. And if it doesn't work there, then I can placate myself and say, ah, right, good. That's why. That's why I've never heard of it. And I go, we're not trying to build something that suits absolutely everything it's a solution for people who don't want radiators if you don't want radiators and you can't have underfloor heating that's where that's what thermoskirt does and and i have a theory that the a huge proportion of people who are googling underfloor heating the reason they're googling underfloor heating is because the what they're actually searching for is an alternative to radiators yeah yeah there's nothing in the language like this process of normalization changes the picture so I just got curious because when you're saying that, talking about the, the the radiators, what what sort of equivalence in terms I don't know like meters of a thermoskirt uh, equates to one normal size radiator? And I suppose when I say normal nowadays, I suppose a bigger radiator because you need a bigger radiator for heat pumps. Yeah. yeah so how the, do you even the, compare them? Quite quite easily to be honest with you. So we are we have a a set heat output per meter. So on a heat pump, you can get up to around ninety watts per linear meter. The thermoskirt. Okay, so around eleven meters is one kilowatt, right? Now, on a heat pump, a one kilowatt radiator, a K two one kilowatt radiator, would be six hundred tall by eighteen hundred long, double panel. Yeah. Okay. So, so ten meters of skirting. So you think about a relatively small room. Exactly. Four by four by three. You know, if you do three sides of a four by three room, you know, you've got eleven meters of skirting. It's the equivalent of a K2 1800 long rad. And that, that that's the thing that people don't want. So on a conversely, on a boiler, a one kilowatt radiator is a 600 by 600 K2. Yeah. So you've so got a more even distribution of the heat as well. Yeah. So where if, if we go um, a bit more technical with it, there's two reasons why the thermal comfort factors are higher. One is because the thermoskirt is set out at a low level, spread along a, a greater area. So it's not a single point emitter. So radiators are single point emitters. They they emit all of their heat from one location. Um, 
with thermoscope and unfloor heating, they emit their heat from a more evenly distributed location. With the thermoscope, we generally go for the external walls first. So, so you don't have to do every wall. You could do two walls if that hits the load. Um, or you could do three walls or all of them or one. Depend- if it's passive house, you know, if we're doing a passive house, sometimes we do like one wall in a lounge just to give it like tiny little top up. But we always attack the external wall because that's where the heat loss is greatest. You should always try and offset the losses yeah. where they're most present. Uh, that's That brings right. me to a point, actually, which I wanted to... And sorry if I've cut you off, but um, I wanted to try and understand. One of the issues you can run into in existing buildings, and it can it can be a an Achilles heel of many notionally even low energy buildings. Uh, for instance, if somebody does like an insulated plasterboard kind of an uh, approach to retrofit, whatever, um, is infiltration at skirting board level. Yeah. And we know that the research shows, there was um, University of Ulster did a bunch of research on this, they have this thermal comfort test rig um, where they showed that um, if you have drafts in a building, in particular at ankle level, it will feel to people a degree or two cooler than it actually is, the temperature, right? So I'm just, I haven't thought this through at all, but I'm just curious as to what impact First of all, if you've got poorly sealed, you've got a lot of heat loss happening um, at that level, at skirting board level in a building. What impact does that have on a kind of skirting board based heating system? Okay, good question. I, I mean, actually, I can actually speak from a position of personal experience here because the, the my, my first house was a 1930s sort of end terrace, and you know, 1930s houses. It was suspended suspended floors, first floor and ground floor yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know and, and the, the suspended floor was built onto sort of brick piers so underneath the suspended floor i had like an 800 mil void basket um, stuff. yeah 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 that's the exact situation that pretty much any house built from you know from 1930 or earlier or 1940 or earlier that was pretty much the common method of construction so people don't ultimately realize the number of times i've done installs where i've taken people's skirting boards off then they realize that their floor isn't attached to the walls of their house. You know, you're you're not standing on a floor that's touching your walls. You're stood on a platform. You're, you know, when you're on the ground floor of a Victorian house, you're just stood on like a, a raised deck, effectively, that's that's mechanically not fixed to the walls at all. And you see people go, you have a bit of a wobble when they realize that they've basically been held up by like four brick piers in, in there. The living room but i had the exact situation where you know air would just pour in from 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 the bottom of everything you know you'd get this like cross ventilation and we had air bricks in there and everything normally what happens is when we take the old skirting boards off and um, we generally sort of seal around the back edge now let's see the like a we either put like a bonding in where the old skirting boards were and then we put like um a foil membrane behind the skirting so there's a there's a UK company called Glidevale who we we get yep. these um, membranes from. So like a breathable insulated foil membrane, and basically what that does is it helps sort of reflect some heat away and some heat in, and that sits behind the skirting, particularly in older properties, to help reflect all the heat in. But what what it is is that heat will always transfer to the easiest place. So if you put a thermoskirt on a wall. You know the, the the plaster work behind the skirting gets warm incredibly quickly, within minutes. So naturally, if you've got if the skirting board is forty five degrees and the wall behind it is forty five degrees and the room is twenty, the heat's always going to transfer into the room, ultimately. 
Um, the, the, the big thing that we that we uh, try and impress upon people, because I think I explained this to you last time I spoke to you, Dan, that pe- people get heating back to front. They think that they're heated up by their heating system. Yeah. My heating system is heating me up. And we get people who say to us, Oh, but I do. I love it when you know when you come in in the winter and then you get to go and stand by the radiator and you can feel how warm it is. You're like, yeah, that's because your house isn't warm. (laughs) That's because you've got a poorly heated property. You you should just walk into the house and go, ah, not go and huddle by your radiator. (laughs) Um, But people think that their heating system heats them up, and it it doesn't. What your heating system does, and you'll know this from from being the editor of Passive House magazine, is that it, it offsets your losses. So. You 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 increase fabric, increase fabric, decrease ventilation, decrease uh, increase air tightness to the point where you reduce the losses as much as possible. If you manage to reduce a house to zero heat heat loss, you know, I, I'll just quit now because there's no there's no need for heat. Well, the problem is that you'll die if you don't have the ventilation. <laughs> Correct, yeah. You do need some ventilation, you know. It'd be very comfortable death now, um, but but it would be death, yeah. You know, you know yeah, another yeah. thing that you, you should consider for your marketing is that you're solving a problem for cats and dogs. So cats could sit on radiators before, but now they have much more surface to sit around the room and dogs can't sit on radiators. So they've got a nice warm spot as well. So I think for those little old ladies who are driving rovers, you might be able to have an in with them with that. It might not come as a surprise to you, but it's a terrifying number of customers who send pictures of their pets lying against skirting to us. Um, I have, <laughs> have told our, our marketing manager, maybe... Maybe we should have like a sort of dog of the week competition or something. Cat the amount of pictures of dogs and cats we get sent. You know, Bar- Barney loves it. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> Barney can't can't go and can't uh, go and procure this stuff. You know. Um, so well, Bar- yeah, Barney can't Barney can't write a review on Trustpilot. So what do you think of it? <laughs> yeah, no, but it's true. You're telling a story about people using their homes and in a in a different way, but you're still finding those creature comforts. Uh, no pun intended. But uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. You'll get stacks of reposts as well. Jesus. That's your social strategy locked off there. Yeah. Uh, yeah by the way, in terms, in terms of the, uh, on the pet theme, in terms of the, the hole in the door that you mentioned, um, there are now um, airtight, thermally broken uh, pet doors uh, suitable for passive houses. They're expensive. Um, some of them that work by a, a microchip in the pet's collar. Uh, I mean, very expensive, and and you'd really want to love, you know, uh, love your love your animals, uh, uh, and have money just, to burn. Yeah, to, to just do don't it. be lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be honest though. Anybody who's building a passive house is not budget's not the first thought, is it? I don't. I don't know. It's not the first thought. You're right. I mean, we are we're moving to a phase now where this stuff is starting to become democratized. You know, um, and um. Yeah. Uh, and it's that state, the same kind of bell curve issue that you mentioned. Um, so, I mean, it uh, is an issue in social housing where there is a big shift towards passive house, which still has to exactly. accommodate pets, curiously, because or not curiously, humanely, because mm-hmm. people have pets. And what? Uh, so, one project we've been working on, it was impressed upon us that when you deep retrofit a house if you don't do the research as to the pets in the household if you don't put in a pet door one will appear <laughs> and uh, if you're trying to make that house airtight and you haven't ac- accounted for the the cat flap or the dog flap you've already compromised it before you've finished before you started 
Like we know the from lived experience that a door will appear. It's so also one of the reasons so, why we'd be very nervous about people. Sorry, sorry, Ethan. It's one of the reasons we'd sorry. be nervous about people relying on them. Um, on internal insulation, especially you get things like vacuum insulated panels, which are very, very highly insulated uh, little panels. But as soon as you pierce the the panel, um, they lose all their insulation value, basically. Yeah. And some people would be using them uh, internally uh, in, to insulate a building. As soon as somebody hangs a, a painting, you're screwed. You know, if if they if they're, if they're piercing the airtight layer, so that that needs to be all these things need to be a consideration for from a building designer perspective. You know. Yeah, I'm with you. And and the, the thing is, is like, so obviously we, we sort of like segued from the likes of City Plumbing. Basically what I'm saying is, is we're, we're kind of stopping our direct involvement with the end user because th there's too much variation. There's too much craziness and we haven't got the, the bandwidth to deal with it. So what this, what the, it's doing is it's going out to a network of registered installers and the network of registered installers can deal with the, the with the specific geographical problems in their area. So somebody who's a who's a, a air source heat pump installer in Cornwall will be dealing with a different type of customer than somebody who's an air source heat pump installer in Newcastle. And we as a, as a as an office we're dealing with everybody and it's just like yeah noise True. so we, we've we've moved away from that and we're really focusing now on new build developers obviously future home standards we're focusing on social housing and their net zero strategies and there's some fun stories to be had with social housing's opinion of net zero i can assure you that and <laughs> um, i've been invited to some focus groups where like these sort of give you this impossible situation and then go so what do you think how are we going to do it <laughs> you're like you're never going to do it if you want to be net zero you need to like flatten this block of flats but what what we're doing with with social housing so what's what's what we found with social housing for example is they have a big issue in with residence committees moving to heat pumps so there's two there's two veins to this what we're doing them what we're doing for them is is actually what i've done in my own house which is when i took all the radiators out and fitted thermoskirt I sized the thermoskirt to run at 50 degrees or below. Okay. So the skirting is, I'm, st I'm still on gas. Okay. Feel free to, to string me up and crucify <laughs> me now, LinkedIn. Right. But I'm still on gas um, for now. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a young father. If I had 10 grand kicking about, I'd probably take the kids to Disneyland rather than buy a heat pump. I'm waiting for one of our technology partners to give me one, to be honest with you. That'd be, that'd be great. So if you're listening, Samsung. But the, the 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 reality is is that you need this like lily pad. So what we're doing with them is is they're they're retrofitting thermoskirt as the first step. So they go to the it's like a, a Trojan horse. So they go to the residence committee and say we're going to get rid of your radiators and we're going to fit thermoskirt. It's going to increase your thermal comfort. It's going to be more efficient, lower bills, this that, and the other. And what they do is when they fit thermoskirt is they size it to run at fifty degrees or below, or ideally forty five degrees or below. You know, yeah. generally like 40 if we can. Depends on the age of the property. But they'll size the thermoskirt and then they'll run it on a boiler at 45 degrees or 50 degrees on a boiler, right? So mm. You, mm. you're dealing with that concern because you always say to the residents, look, if it doesn't work, just turn your boiler back up and nobody needs to know, okay? Mm. So they go, right, okay, <laughs> great. I've got this backstop. And they never do. Because yeah. it is sized correctly, it has been installed correctly, the weather compensation's been set up correctly, so they never do. They never do turn the boiler up. So after a year or two, then they go back to residents and say, well, look, you've been running this system at 45 degrees. You know, here's here's the chart 
shows you your maximum operating temperature was 48 degrees, which was in the middle of January last year. Were you cold? No, it was fine. Great. So then they say, well, what we're going to do is now we're going to take your boiler out. And we're going to fit a heat pump. But there's no internal works then. All the mess has been done. So they, they snuck the thermoscope in as like a Trojan horse of other features and benefits. Yeah, yeah. You know, looks better, more hygienic. This, And then comes the real ambition, which is now we're doing a heat pump. But don't worry, it's all been set up. So we don't have to make any mess. We're just going to pull two pipes through from the kitchen and drop it into a heat pump system and what have you. So that's one method of doing it. For the social housing provider, what that also does is it gets rid of radiators and they have a big problem with residents drying their clothes on radiators mm. and not ventilating suitably, which promotes mold and damp um, and excess moisture. And yeah. on a rad- on a boiler, if you throw a if you throw a wet towel on a radiator that's 75 degrees, you know, 10 minutes later the towel's dry. And that's, but if you put a wet towel on a radiator that's 40 degrees. Okay, it takes a it takes forever to dry, and B it completely kills your heat output, completely and totally kills your heat output. So the room stat never reaches temperature. The COP of the heat pumps impacted, so they they have another issue around the the misuse of radiators. So what do people do then? The laundry. So how do people dry their clothes if they've got uh, thermoscope? You you put them on a like I do at home. We put them on a clothes rack, so they they dry. But yeah. they, they dry slowly. So ha- drying your clothes indoors in a, in a normal house is is actually not very detrimental if you dry them at a steady rate because the moisture from those clothes is being released at a slow rate that the house house's natural ventilation can accommodate for. It's when you whack them on a radiator and it just basically goes woof into the atmosphere. So it's like if anybody has a condenser tumble dryer. You know, you yeah. put a load of tum- uh, load of drying in the in the tumble dryer, and if if it's not connected to the waste, you have to empty the the you know the the water from it. All that water has just come from the clothes, and when you dry your clothes in a radiator, that same amount of water is is being let up into the air. So they and obviously they they are trying to combat mold because of the risks of respiratory illness. Hmm. So there's oh, like well, this I... litany of issues that once you get into it, you're like, wow, you know, it's really starting to open up the conversation. I think I think the legal precedent that happened with that little boy in Rochdale who died yeah. last year has has yeah. given a lot of people the fear now to because uh, the the stock response from landlords, in fairness to this issue in the past, has always tended to be to blame the occupant if there's mold. Um, uh, and one of the things is people drying clothes indoors, and it might be that there's in some cases some legitimacy to that, but I think our view is you know my view generally would be you know people are people are should unless you provide drying facilities for people um you know they're going to be drying their clothes somewhere indoors and maybe maybe you can circumvent the problem this way it's very interesting in the context of um this the city plumbing thing though um, if you're going b2b as your main route to market now and you're selling through merchants how can you 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 talk a really good talk in terms of um of uh, how you tackle for instance this um this heat loss at uh, you know in behind the the the, uh, the skirt um and uh, and in terms of sizing them correctly and so on uh, what's to stop somebody coming into the merchants just buying it uh, f- uh, from the guy at the counter and not following your instructions or your guidance nothing nothing nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And 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 to be honest with you, Jeff, what am I meant to do about that? 
<laughs> like, yeah. what, what's to stop somebody going into a Ford dealership, buying a Ford Fiesta and driving it through a nursery? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, no, you're referring to a plant nursery. Uh. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's just a fundamental problem. I mean, merchants are, you know, exist and they are going to continue to exist. Um, it's a fundamental issue with with uh, yeah. that business model. That 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 uh, the question is: How do you engage with people, especially people who are set in their ways, who maybe are you know maybe if you manage to who are maybe less conscientious in some cases, less nerdy, less model students about it, you know. Um, yeah. um, and if they do engage with it, you know, maybe they're going to engage in with it in a very glib kind of well, we'll lob this in kind of a way. Well, how how true. I mean, it, it's kind of like a risk. It's kind of a risk on our part, I suppose, because you know, if some if, if somebody um, installs the product badly, it's pretty rare in my experience that plumber who hasn't read the instructions is going to hold their hands up to the customer and say, "Yeah, I'm an idiot. I didn't read the instructions." Normally, what they say to the customer is, well, "Yeah, what a lot of crap that product is." <laughs> um, so you know, it's kind of a risk on our part. We have we do have instructions. We have like videos when somebody purchases the product they get hit with like a load of installation videos like make sure you do our online course you can learn everything you need to know in 40 minutes and then when they're going through the instructions there's like a qr code on each of the page which pages which links into a video when they take like an internal corner kit out of the box it says on the side of the box watch the installation of this internal corner kit here again there's a qr code they scan it it takes so you can do as much as you can only do as much as you can do and we're using like a lot of modern methods i suppose to kind of constantly put ourselves in front of the installer and say hey hey before you do this hey just check out our installation training videos hey just because yeah. we know that people don't read the instructions you know they just they just was the instructions straight over their shoulder so we do <laughs> kind of like follow up with with marketing and they get they get remarketed too as well so when they land on our website and check out the product they'll get remarketed through social media and a lot of our marketing videos are actually like install related so it's like hey check out our install and this links to a case study so we're constantly trying to educate people on that but one of the interesting stats i suppose is that up until fairly recently um 80 of the systems that we've sold have been sold to people that have had no formal training they're not registered installers the diyers you know our, our product is not a very difficult product to install and um, in fact some of the best installations i've ever seen in 15 years of doing it have been done by like a conscientious diyer you know somebody who's willing to read the instructions because it's their yeah. own house and take yeah. their time because it's their own house and just fit it as well they're invested in this they are invested in the quality of the of of the end results in a way that 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 a a hairy arsed installer might not be you know well yeah you've got a building nerd of one sort or another who's into it they're gonna yeah pay more attention what we've what one of the challenges that we never had to deal with previously was that because our product was is, is become is more mainstream now than it was 10 years ago 10 years ago it was incredibly incredibly niche so the people who had found us were the nerds who were willing to go to like the third page of Google. Now the people who find us are like 50% of the traffic on the website just disappears after three seconds. You know, they, they click on the link, they go, uh, the eyes don't immediately get drawn to a, a fancy picture and they're gone. So, you know, now it's becoming more mainstream. I suppose 
one of the challenges has been getting people to understand how it's installed but we have this like installer map now so the customer if a, if mrs or mrs joe blogs land on our website they're immediately directed to find your local installer and those local installers then buy from city plumbing so that's kind of dealt with the retro with the with the retail side of the business i suppose and then obviously on the commercial side future home standards house builders and what have you you know that that's all sort of done directly so for me it's 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 a really really difficult because i i my brain has to switch entirely between like export because we we export out of the uk to other countries to social housing to uh house builder to retailer and they all have different needs and wants and different ways of getting the product out there is it, well, do you get a specification driven sales at times as well is, is that does that happen is that something yeah so yeah so architects and consultants are obviously trying to solve a particular problem for their client i'll, I'll give you an example i won't name the exact project because we've not um it's not in the bag yet and i'd hate to jeopardize it but it's a very large student accommodation project on a big communal air source heat pump which is designed to run at 40 flow 35 returns so 37 and a half uh, degrees now student accommodation notoriously has dreadful amount of space for radiators because you know it's six meters by three meters and it's like wardrobe desk bed bathroom pod window you know where do you put it and on a heat pump that radiator has to be pretty considerably large so the the m&e consultant's solution to this was a 500 wide by 1800 high double panel radiator so a huge vertical radiator in yeah. in the studio which is just, first of all, really expensive and totally in the wrong place. So as you walk through the door into the student accommodation room, you've got the ensuite door on your right and the radiator is to the side of that. So it's nowhere near the external wall. It's going to be running at 37 degrees. You know, the desk is by the external wall. The bed is by the external wall. There's absolutely no way the student is going to feel the benefit of that radiator. And because of the stratification of heat, because convected heat from radiators stratifies, so the higher up the room you are, the warmer you are. I don't, I mean, I don't know if any of you have ever had the privilege of like going up to the roof space of a church, but it's like a sauna. Yeah, everything just flows to the top. So the the you end up the the higher the radiator gets, the worse its output becomes because the delta T drops. So the radiator output is designed to delta T twenty, for example or in this case, Delta T 17.5. And as you get nearer to the ceiling, the overall room temperature increases. So the Delta T drops. So the output of the radiator gets worse the higher you go. So we basically do the total inverse of that, shrink it so it's 100 mil tall and spread it out so it's five meters long. Um, and again, because, because those designer radiators, those particular shape of radiators are pretty uncommon, they're also eye-wateringly expensive. So what's happening now is now that there's like, you know, with the advent of low temperature heating systems, we had a product which looked better, but was way more expensive. Now we have a product that looks better and is cheaper. So, right. you know, it, it's, it's like in some situations, it's like shooting massive fish in tiny barrels. Um, but, you know, we've we've done the hard yards. When I started selling it to Plumbase, I basically drove for anywhere from Inverness to Torquay to go and sit in front of 30 plumbers who had had five pints each 
who just sat there at 8 o'clock in the evening and told me it was a load of bollocks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've, we've done all that. <laughs> so right. it's like, you know, I, I, when somebody says it's great, I think, yeah, well, our time's come. <laughs> this is it. Because I think it's been a really interesting look at why it's taken so long to get here. And, yeah. you know, the the value of a system like this. And it's it's interesting, like, it isn't suitable for everywhere. But it's well suitable in loads of places. Um, yeah, I, I sort of call it, like, genes. Yeah? G- genes are not suitable for everywhere, but a lot of people wear them. <laughs> I'll yeah. take that. I'm yeah. happy to be the genes of the heating system world. <laughs> Excellent. Well, a marvellous place to finish. Have you got anything to plug, Ethan? Are you going to be anywhere? Or any the only thing I'd like to out? plug. Yeah, the only thing I'd like to plug is um, in January, we are launching uh, an online course called The Introduction to Thermoskirt. So it takes, takes around an hour and a half to complete. You know, it's not extensive. It doesn't go into every single nook, cranny and detail. But for the uninitiated, it's about 40 minutes of practical. So looking at the product in detail, how it's made up, what profiles are available and things like that. So suitable for installers or architects or even homeowners. And then we've got about 45, 40 minutes of of an installation demo, which is like a step by step demonstration of how the product goes together. So um, one of the things that's appeared this year is we've got this overwhelming demand for training that we we actually can't fulfill. So what we've done is really we've put this introduction to Thermoskirt online. It's not available yet. It will be available in January. So what I would like people to do is uh, make a note to either follow us on LinkedIn or follow us on on, uh, all the usual social media channels and then jump onto that course when it's available. Yeah, dead on. Well, we'll make sure everything, all the links are in the show notes. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to supply them. And uh, yeah, man, it's been it's been really interesting. Like, I think it's a product to, that we can be easily enthusiastic about. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of, I'm contemplating it for when I finally do get around to retrofitting because it would mitigate a whole bunch of issues for where I live now. Especially the fact that I'm, there's no heating system in the kitchen or the downstairs loo at the moment. Can't really get radiators yeah. in the, there either. It's anyway, yeah. right. Yeah. A word of advice, though, fine, in, in conclusion for passive houses, if there's less of this required, you might want to consider branding them as a separate product called the mini skirt. Called the what? Sorry. <laughs> called the mini skirt. <laughs> mini skirt. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the, I got my no, toes. The, yeah. the, pro- yeah. the, problem is with, the problem is with that, Jeff, is that the uh, keywords at Google are far too competitive. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> didn't think of that, Jeff, did you? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so you should be. All right. Belton, thank you very much for joining us, Ethan. And thank you, gents. It's been uh, a pleasure. And uh yep, everyone at home, thank you for joining us. All the usual things at the end. Join ACAN, join the AECB, join the IGBC. Ladies, check her own space for renovation and retrofit information subscribe to passive house plus if you're an advertiser ethan you might be yeah. interested in advertising we'll have a conversation we'll have a yeah. conversation yeah. <laughs> yeah oh now i know why i was invited on the podcast <laughs> very much. no no i'm 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 stubborn i'm useless at, at, at that end of stuff I, I i any opportunity to walk away from money i i, t- I take it no. <laughs> so I, sales, this... sales prevention officer <laughs> yeah this is this is why we include it at the end 
Um, talk to us if you have a conversation about any of this stuff. Holler at us. Uh, we like talking about it. And you never know, we might be able to help. Please review the podcast. Five stars, nothing else will do. It's all that algorithms care about. And we would like this to go out to as many people as possible. And this stuff makes a difference. And if you get something out of the podcast, you probably know someone else who will as well. So please share it with them. That's it for now, I think. Anything yep. else, lads? No? No, I think that no, does just it. to say thanks very much. Yeah, Belty. Well, cheers. And uh, all right, thanks for joining us at home. Uh, cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Tara.